0: welcome to this complex life a podcast where we explore the intricacies of well-being and relationships i'm your host marie Carcas, an accredited mental health social worker family therapist speaker and mental health educator coming to you from the lands of the bunurong and wurundjeri people Join me as we demystify mental health, break down stigma and navigate life's messiness and complexities one conversation at a time. And just a little reminder, information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical or other professional advice, diagnosis or treatment. This podcast is not a substitute for professional mental health treatment and advice. If you or someone you know requires support, please contact a mental health professional in your area. Thanks for listening. Do you ever feel like you're just not good enough, that you're expected to be perfect all the time? In this chat with psychologist Belinda Gibson, a dear friend of mine, and a podcast regular, there'll be a few episodes coming up with her and I having these conversations. We talk about this idea of not feeling good enough, about striving for perfection. And how that can lead to feeling dissatisfied in some of our relationships and can impact us in ways that we might not have even realized. We share some things that we've learned through the client work that we do, some of our own reflections, and discuss ways that you can start to be curious about how this might show up for you and how to choose the right people to have these conversations with, to explore these things about yourself. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Belinda. Welcome to This Complex Life. Today I have Belinda Gibson with me for what I'm hoping will be a very regular segment. I was going to call it something like chats over chai but I have a coffee and you don't have a chai. so maybe. <laughs> only <up the> <laughs> Welcome. Hey. Today we're talking about this idea of not feeling good enough and more of a discussion than an interview so something different to what we've done in the past. But what are your thoughts on that? Like how do we Where do we even start to unpack the feelings that sometimes we have of not being good enough?
1: Where do we start? Well, where do the feelings first come from? Is what comes to my mind. You know, when did I start feeling not good enough? When? Because babies don't come into this world not feeling good enough. A baby feels good enough. So at some point we learn, we learn we're not good enough. Yeah. And then it becomes this feeling so strong that it feels like a knowing. How does
0: it show, like, how do we see it? Like, what do you notice in the the clients you work with or in friends, like, what kinds of things do people say that maybe indicate that they've got this belief? So, like, I fucked it up again, I didn't get this right. What would you notice?
1: I think it's different, isn't it? I think some people use it. As a way, I'm just trying to think, you know, someone is coming to mind now where they use this feeling of not being good enough. They almost lead with it. They present the vulnerability of not feeling good enough. And I think what they would often elicit from the other person then is this caretaking. Like, oh no, you are, that then they elicit a lot of reassurance. And then, you know, so in some ways they're really obvious with it. They Mm. vocalize it, they express it. I think for other people, it's something they really hide away. They really struggle with it on their own. And I think when it's like that, it's much more subtle. It makes me think of
0: the different ways in which we look at schemas. Mm-hmm. And in schema therapy, we have a couple of different things of thinking you can overcompensate, which might be those mm-hmm. people who are like, I'm going to be super, super perfect. Mm-hmm. So no one can see that I feel like a fraud. Mm-hmm. And then you have that surrendering too, where it's just like, I'm going to lay it out there. Yep. because it's just so obvious to me. And you flip between those. Some people flip between them and some really stick in one of those positions Yeah. instead of that healthy middle that we want of you know, the adult driving the brain. You can think yeah, of inside yeah. that, the movie, you know, you want the adult person kind yeah. of running the show.
1: You know, I think it's interesting too because how does it show up? I think in a therapeutic setting it's much more obvious mm-hmm. because as the client sits with you, you're hearing much more about their inner world. You're watching it, you're seeing it, you're feeling it, you're hearing it. I think it's much harder outside of that space because I think it might be expressed in things like with shoulds. Mm -hmm. I should have known or I should have done that or, you know, because the should kind of indicates this idea that I failed somehow, like I've not been good enough, Uh that I've missed something, I haven't predicted something correctly. So I think when people kind of apologetically use the shoulds, yeah, it's often a way we can notice that maybe in that moment they're feeling some internal criticism or judgment or feeling I've not done it right, I'm not good enough in this setting. I
0: see it, and as you're talking, it gives me ideas of ways that I might have seen it in people. I think of like a hosting a dinner party mm. or a birthday party or something, and mm. someone wanting it to be perfect and mm the cake has to be just so and the mm-hmm. potatoes have to be cooked this way and the meat and the, the table and the napkins mm-hmm. and that preoccupation with being maybe perfect yeah, and having everything kind of looking a certain way. But ironically, I remember hearing this saying of people want you to show up not to be perfect. They want consistency over perfection and that sometimes we can be so preoccupied with trying to prove that we're not inadequate or I feel like sometimes that behavior gets you further from what you want.
1: I think most of our behaviors do that though, right? When I'm getting really grumpy at my partner for not knowing that I needed that thing, which the thing might be actually I needed closeness, it's probably not going to bring him closer to me, right? If I'm grumpy, he's going to be like, well, fine, I'll move away from you. But my grumpiness is because I've not felt the closeness, right? So we're in this cycle together. But I think there is something about perfectionism And this idea in that example you gave, I think there is something about because if the potatoes are perfect, if this dinner is perfect, then I'm good enough. Then I'm maybe I'm lovable. Yeah. You won't leave me. You won't hurt me. Yeah. So I come back to where does it begin? So if someone's listening and they're like,
0: the penny's dropping or there's like alarm bells going or they're they're, they're thinking, ah, okay, I can relate to some of this what else could they start looking for? Like, what do they even, where do we even start to think, oh, I had no idea that I am running around like a headless chook trying to get this birthday party perfect because I want to give something to my kids that I never had or I want to make up for something Out Like, how can they even,
1: what's the first level
0: of awareness?
1: I think people know when they feel not good enough. I think what they don't always know is all the ways in which that shows up Mm -hmm. and how it shapes their behavior. So, you know, that person throwing that dinner party, I think has a sense of I'm not good enough. Like even if it's this internal niggling feeling like I just never get it quite right or I'm always just falling short or Mm. I don't feel as good as X, Y and Z, you know, I think they know that part. Mm. What often I think in therapy is we find out all of the ways that shows up and how it impacts how we are in our relationships, all of the ways in which it impacts how we feel, not just about ourselves, but generally our mood. Mm. You know, it, it will even in some ways impact the choices I make. If I don't feel good enough, maybe I'm not making good choices for myself because I don't deserve those things. If I don't feel good enough, well, then I'm not going to try to level up or try this new thing because I'm going to fail anyway. And then that will be humiliating and it's just going to prove to me that I'm not good enough. Hmm. So I think that it's something like I know when I am having a day, a week, a moment of not feeling good enough. What I'm not always aware of is how that is influencing me in my relationships and choices and behavior. But I think people have the sense. I think Mm. that not good enough. It's such a, what's the word? Insidious. It really is, yeah. Feeling. Mm. I think people know it, but I think it's about the awareness attached to it is not always there. Is it? Do you think it's contagious?
0: Like, because I know anxiety can feel quite contagious. Like Mm -hmm. when someone around you is really anxious, their energy. Changes in their behavior, or someone's flustered or running late, there can be like a little tornado, and that can really suck you in. Does this feel contagious? I'm picturing, let's say, baking a cake. And if you've got, if that's how this shows up, and this has to be perfect, you might prefer to just go buy one and make it like just have a perfect cake. Yep. I don't know, whatever's in fashion now, like a nude cake with beautiful adornments and stuff on top. Or you could try that old woman's weekly cookbook and make one from scratch and it be kind of maybe the icing doesn't come out right. Yeah. But that that bit of you that wants it to be perfect, what does that then show to other people? I can picture someone seeing that as criticism of their of them. Of like, oh, if you've got this high standard of when I come to your house, this cake has to be perfect and you've harped on about it for months and months and months and the cake wasn't perfect and the potatoes weren't perfect. Are you judging me when you come to my house for dinner? Am I not good enough
1: for you? Well, does it kind of your not good enough meets my not good enough. Yeah,
0: right? does it start to kind of
1: keep perpetuating itself in those friendships? Well, I think if you're not good enough meets my not good enough. But if I'm entering that relationship with you where I don't give a flying fuck about the potatoes, I'm just excited to be here. Your potatoes could be really crap. That actually sounds like a conversation we've
0: <laughs> had before. <laughs> where I said, this isn't the best, and you're like, this is delicious. Yeah. Thank you.
1: <laughs> but Because that doesn't meet my not good enough. What right? do you mean by that? Like, I mean that my not good enough doesn't manifest in that space. Okay,
0: in cooking. Right? Yeah. It just
1: doesn't. I know I can't cook. I, I, I can't cook. I'm bad at it. Love to eat. Love to eat your food. <laughs> but I can't cook. So it doesn't meet my not good enough. It meets a clear knowing for me, mm. but it's also not something I value within myself it's not something that I struggle with I just know that that's true and I'm okay with that
0: but could it for someone like if a friendship it could
1: if that was something where I felt really not good enough like that somehow I'm failing as a person because I can't cook or I don't enjoy that and I imagine that when you talked about contagion the thing that kind of came to me is where I think it's contagious in a significant way is in the parenting of our children. Mm -hmm. See, I, I like food. Thankfully, my partner is a very good cook. So we enjoy good food in our home because he provides that for us.
0: We'll Make sure he listens to this. I will.
1: (laughs) But there is something about for my daughter, she has an attached to cooking as a joyful experience. She likes to eat it. Now, because it's not a, something that I struggle with in, if you don't like cooking, that means you're not good enough. Yeah. Then she doesn't, doesn't care. It doesn't even know that that's a possibility. Yeah. But if I'm within myself going, oh, I'm failing, particularly as a woman being socialized to... If you
0: vocalized it.
1: Well, I think even on an unconscious level. Yeah. If I'm always apologizing, if I'm feeling flustered in the kitchen, if I'm huffing and puffing, if I look stressed, yeah. then she starts to get this association, this like, oh, am I meant to be good at that? oh, God, oh, well, I'm not good at that or I don't care about that or I'm not interested. Oh, I, I think something's me. wrong. But So I think it's when our not good enoughs meet. Right. So, so it's the messages we get. I think
0: hugely. So that would be, I mean, if, some, if we think back to what you said about we're not born that way, this is where it could come from, right, is it might subconsciously have been absorbed from your surroundings of, the comments people make.
1: Sometimes it's even more subtle than that. I remember reading somewhere, I can't cite it, I apologise, but I remember reading a woman's experience of raising a daughter in terms of body image. And what she was speaking about is what she'd never noticed is that after, the last thing she would do before leaving the bathroom is she would turn around, look at her back and she would go and then walk out. So she's giving herself A judgment, a criticism. I don't look the way I want to. Something isn't right here. And what she noticed is when her daughter reached adolescence, her daughter started turning around, looking, going, and leaving the bathroom. It was only seeing her daughter mirroring her own behavior that she's noticing, ah, I am passing on my not good enough. I am giving her clear messages. It's something about her, in this sense, her physical form, that's not good enough. I think that a baby is born feeling pretty good enough. Yeah. Generally speaking, well, because even some little babies kids, body image trauma.
0: is a really important one. Or, uh, you know, you see little kids run around naked, or you know, playing with the hose in summer, and they don't care.
1: They're not looking at their body as yeah. an observer. That little piece of writing, what really stood out for me is that the daughter learned to look at herself as an observer not to feel her body, not to enjoy mm. her body, not to use her body, but to see her body and to see her body is not good enough. So I think it's when our not mm. good enoughs meet.
0: Yeah, that's so tricky because this is where like if people are resonating with this, it might be really, it takes a lot of effort to go back and through that, you know, your, your memory bank think, where did I get this message? Where did I get the message I'm not? Something enough, good yeah. enough, smart enough, creative enough. Because those beliefs, they show up everywhere. Uh, you know, finances, I'm not good at managing money. Yep. I'm not creative. And yep. then and, and it's one bit of that makes me sad because it implies we have to be good at something to just enjoy it. Yep. Like painting, colouring and drawing. Yep. It's like you don't have to be an artist. You can just enjoy it. Yep but that has been shut down for a lot of people like oh, i'm not artistic.
1: Yes, therefore i shouldn't do it. So or does can't that mean do you,
0: you can't enjoy playing or yeah. I kill everything in the garden? Like do you still find it fun to try? Like does yeah. it does it Do you find it also disempowers some people like if you've got that belief then it takes away responsibility of but i can learn. Mm. I can learn to paint if i want to get better at it. I can learn to Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be, you know, at my height, I'm never going to be a great basketballer (laughs) if I just pick it up now, never having played, Mm. but I can learn it. Yeah, It's a skill I can acquire. Like how does it it kind of fuck us up?
1: Well, I think this is interesting too because now I think we're kind of talking about when the not good enough is a skill-based not good enough. Right. I think that, you know, going back to that mother and daughter, there's something different there because it's about I as this human being in this body I am not good enough this is more shame-based I think and I think that is different to a skill practical way so and maybe that's the cooking example too maybe that's because I'm like look if I really wanted to I could learn it I just don't have that interest but if I'm feeling not good enough in a more intrinsic way as more connected to who I am, that is more shame-provoking and that, I think, is a different thing. It's like fe- I'm not good enough it, as a friend. It or a-
0: feels like they're, they're buddied though, right? Because sure. if you, I suspect, and some of the people I've worked with when we touch on this, if you do feel shameful, it's really hard to have a growth mindset. Like if yeah. you feel fundamentally I'm I'm not enough. I'm not enough as a human. Yeah, it disempowers you to think, to you know, to calm your nervous system and be like, okay, what's really going on? Yeah, I can learn this, or yeah. I can do that. Like, it's really hard to to grow, to try new things, to be vulnerable, to yeah. to wade through the discomfort, yeah. to try a new recipe, to give something a go. Yeah, if the fear of failure mm. that's then linked to shame and yeah. like, it feels like it's. They're so intrinsically linked.
1: I agree. I I think that it would be hard to know where one starts and one begins. Sorry, one begins and one ends. Right? Like (laughs) they go round and round. Yeah. And they are in relationship with each other and they absolutely influence each other. I I think that there is something much more immobilizing when it's fear, shame based, when it's that fear of Mm. I will be seen for my not good enough. And then what happens? Yeah. And I think this is about what we learn in our families, which is if I'm not good enough, what do you do? Do you abandon me in some way? Do you reject me in some way? Because that is at the core annihilating to me. Mm-hmm. I can't live as a child if you abandon and reject me. Yeah. It takes away something core to my survival. So this then becomes something so entrenched and embedded in me that I cannot not be good enough. Because it will be annihilating. And I think often when people come into therapy, part of what I often do and try to work with them on is, when did this start? Mm. And what's different now? Because as a child, we're limited. We don't have much choice or control. Mm. And we always internalize it that it's us because we can't see our caregivers as not being good, right? Yeah. Right? It's part of our survival. It would rather be the bad
0: kid rather than have the bad family we're not good enough rather than they can't meet our needs it's developmentally that's just where we
1: absolutely
0: and as part of our
1: survival now if I don't go into that place if I don't and typically you do this in therapy because where else do you have a friend sit down and you know say take me back (laughs) like what happened um you know then I still live in this space Mm -hmm. of if I fail if I'm not good enough for you then I'll be annihilated and the reality is, as adults, that often won't be the case. Mm. But we have to heal. We have to go back. We have to understand and learn and build our awareness around what is this? Mm. Why, why do I feel not good enough?
0: It, as you were talking, an example came to mind of, I wonder if it holds people back having tough conversations because it's like, if I have a rupture in this friendship or if I give feedback or if I hold a boundary
1: yeah.
0: and you don't like it, yeah, the cutoff will be, like, the the consequence feels huge. Massive. So we kind of main, try and maintain this mm. in whatever way comes out for you, whether it is the perfect party or yeah. over-pleasing or something else. Yeah. It shows up in not being boundaryed in being... Uh, A people pleaser and a perfect, it shows up in so many ways because the idea of disappointing you or letting you down, that relationship won't recover. I wonder if at the same time, it keeps a relationship at an arm's length. Like it kind of, it's not entirely integrated or intimate or authentic because, I don't know, there's too much
1: pressure there maybe? Well, there's maybe too much risk. Then it's too much risk. Because if you're not I holding boundaries, if
0: you're not being authentic, if you're not saying, hey, what you said hurt me, yeah, because you're coming from, a, I'm not good enough, so I don't deserve this. The relationship's not built on trust in a way that there's an element of trust missing.
1: Mm-hmm. I wonder in some ways what you're talking about is I avoid conflict out of fear that if conflict emerges, that I will experience that rejection or abandonment that you will leave, that that this will somehow reveal my not Mm. good enough, that I might have got it wrong or I've hurt you and all of these things, then activate that childhood experience where this is dangerous now. The risk is too great. So I withhold Mm. whatever I'm thinking, feeling, if there is difference with you. I think that 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 happens a lot and I think that there is such – I did a training on Friday. There were 30 people there and I would say – 27 out of that 30, <laughs> as they went around and checked out at the end of the day, sort of said their whole, What am I left with kind of comment or statement? All of those 27 out of 30 spoke around their feeling of connection during the day and the absence of that normally for them. I think that often when I'm meeting and sitting with people, I say often, but it does feel like almost everyone talks about this feeling and need and absence of true connection. Mm. And I think what you're talking about is one of the reasons we don't often feel satisfied with our connection because we enter them with a lot of fear and we protect ourselves. And in that protection, we're not really showing up. Mm. We're not really connecting. And often you and I have had many conversations where there's been a lot of difference. But they're often the times where my trust in you has grown because I'm like, oh, we can do this together. Yeah. We can do the hard conversations and you'll stick in there with me. You know, my personal fear from my childhood and family is that if I say something that you don't like, then you will reject me. You will leave. And the way that that often showed up was with the the withholding of love. Yeah. That I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to look at you. Go away. Yeah. Right, So now I have to really hold myself when I have those hard conversations, trust and support myself that I will be okay and trust that that person can do this with me.
0: Mm.
1: It's really the elements of trust that
0: Brene Brown Mm. articulates. And one of them is integrity, saying what you mean, meaning what you say and choosing courage over comfort. Yeah,
1: but it is courage.
0: It it is, which is ironic because... Busting your ass to have the perfect party is actually really hard work. Yeah, and that people seem to prefer to do that than sit with the vulnerability of having the conversation of saying, "Hey, I'm I'm exhausted. I can't do this. Or my Mm. preference would be that we get takeout, or Mm. I want to show you this amazing party, but this is our budget." Like, it's part of why I wanted to have these kinds of conversations in this way. Is I don't. I think we oversimplify them Mm. and we don't spend time to unpack what's going on, what conversation do I need to have and be prepared that when you change that might not suit some people and that's okay mm-hmm. if that, that wasn't it authentic. It doesn't to, feel
1: okay. Yeah, but <laughs> well, then, it was, re- never, then it was maybe not a
0: relationship you needed. If the, it was, if they're going to crack the shits because you've decided to no longer have the perfect party, yeah. then there may be friends that
1: you don't need in that season of your life anymore. You've outgrown. Totally understand what you're saying and and, and appreciate it. And agree. intellectually, <laughs> yeah. And on intellectual level, I'm saying yes. I'm, I'm screaming yes and yes, but but <laughs> and, and and is a better word. And that experience, if we're not careful, so say we we kind of enter that space authentically that person leaves in some way then if we're not careful that reinforces the childhood experience of me not being good enough again Mm. and becomes evidence see yeah freaking told you i'm not good enough why would i do that yeah and then the critic and the judgment and the internal punishment goes on a rampage if we're not careful yeah because the way you're saying it and framing it I think can be protective. But if we don't have that language, if we don't have that mindset, then I think there's that risk. So how
0: can the first, how can people take, like what's the first step they can take? So, you know, this is, these are just tips and it's just, you know, our, our kind of thoughts out loud. But if mm. people wanted to try something different, you know, obviously being a therapist, I, I wish everyone would do therapy. Yep. I think welcome it's amazing. You. <laughs> we, yes. yeah, welcome. And we, we appreciate that that's, you know, at times it's hard to find the right person and it's not it a expense that everyone can afford. Yeah. But what is where, where where can people start? Like, I know self-compassion is a huge one and yeah. I'll put in uh, a link in the show notes. Kristen Neff has some really great self-compassion resources mm-hmm. and really beautiful, have you done her meditation? No. So really beautiful guided meditations mm-hmm. and she's got a self-compassion checklist nice. so you can actually see how self-compassionate you are. Yeah. Um, But what other,
1: where else can people start? Like what are tools that you? Look, I do really want to reiterate the, I think, therapy and how this can really assist in better understanding ourselves. And there certainly are low-cost, long-term psychotherapy clinics out there if you can find them. Um, But I think, you know, reading the Brene Browns, Mm, yeah, the you gifts know, have
0: book well, like the gifts of imperfections, gifts of imperfection. starting
1: with that. Yep, well, I, she's got a Netflix documentary as well. She does. If you're more into the watching, she's got loads of YouTube little clips even. But I think absolutely reading, watching, and where you can really sort of mm. start the practice of reflecting and being curious, not critical. Yeah. If my clients. Anyone that's ever sat with me will have heard a million times.
0: Curious, not critical. Be curious,
1: not critical.
0: Yeah, don't be like, this is just another thing I'm not good at. I can't self-reflect.
1: Yeah, but but just curiously, what is happening for me here? Am I trying to please this person or actually do I want to do this thing? Do I really care about the potatoes or is this a way I'm trying to make myself look good enough? Mm. Really get curious about yourself and if you can, find your people. Find the, your people that can let you be you. I use the analogy, and if you've seen Inside
0: Out, it sort of makes oh, sense of that. that. But yeah. this idea of, you know, think of a bus, and there mm-hmm. are different, like every there's passengers on the bus, but they're mm-hmm. all different parts of you. Mm-hmm. There'll be a part of you that's like maybe sitting at the back board. There'll mm-hmm. be a part of you that's like, are we there yet? What's going on? There'll be yeah. a part of you snoozy. Like we all have different parts.
1: Absolutely. And
0: actually thinking, who's driving the bus? Yeah. Is this my calm, cool, collected Kind of healthy adult cell mm-hmm. that's taken mm-hmm. charge and realized, oh, this feeling's uncomfortable. Yeah, but it's actually not uh, in response to this. It's mm-hmm. something from the past, or is the nine-year-old you driving, or is mm-hmm. it the scare? Like maybe starting to think about who's kind of who's in the driver's seat, and are those
1: parts talking, or are they screaming at each other? Do they just fight for dominance? But actually when I go in there and I actually get curious about where did these parts come from, what's the purpose, how do they serve me, then actually they often can work together and sometimes one needs to soothe the other, right? Often for me, my fear can lead and that's usually a smaller part of me. So the adult part can come in and be like, Mm. actually, I can do this for you. Sit back down, right? So if someone's listening
0: to this and they are like, oh, okay, okay. Something's resonated with me. I want to share this with a parent, a partner, a friend, without it setting it up to fail by just sort of saying, I don't know, sharing this saying in a text mm. message being like, listen to this, let's talk.
1: <laughs> like how can people introduce this topic to someone? The first thing though, I, and I have this caution, is choose your people. Right. Choose the people that are safe. Right. Choose the people that can do that with you, that have shown in some way that they can be with you when it's hard or uncomfortable. Mm. Choose your people. Look for people that are safe, because especially if you're just starting out in having these conversations, and check. Check with their willingness to do that. Ask them, is this a conversation that you're up for? So
0: I would... I mean, I've scripted this sort of stuff with clients in the past Mm -hmm. where we've actually helped write a draft text message of Mm -hmm. saying or, you know, just saying, hey, I've been working on understanding myself better Mm -hmm. or I've been going to therapy, whatever the the situation is. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of resources I found insightful. Mm -hmm. Would you be open Mm -hmm. to listening to this Mm -hmm. with me or in your own time Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so we can then have a chat or I can tell you what bits resonated for me or mm. this podcast or this blog post articulated something in a way I, I couldn't yeah would you be open to helping me understand it more like mm. how else can people start to do that because I find when I break it down like that it's helpful for people they don't know how to introduce it they'll just send it to a partner or a friend and be like this is me and mm
1: then that person can feel not good enough or criticised or caught yeah. off guard or what are you trying to say? Well, that person has their own experience, totally. Right? So that person you might be meeting, they're not good enough yeah, and then yeah. they're like, well, have now what I'm have I, How have and... I let
0: you down again? Like if you yeah. sent this to a, you know, your mum, for example, yeah. they might be like, well, so everything comes down to mum, I did the best yeah. I could and they Never might trigger a enough. defensiveness instead yeah. of it being like, hey, I'm not blaming you, but this really spoke to me, mm-hmm. which I hope it did. Yeah, We love to hear that can we talk about it? Or can you have a listen? And if you feel okay, yeah, let's have a chat. And we talk, I say, talk about the talking, yeah. like discuss how you're going to discuss yes. it.
1: Yeah. I also think about owning your part, because I think it depends on how you use your language as to how someone might respond, right? So owning your experience and really expressing what your need is. Mm-hmm. So first kind of checking in, what do I need in this conversation? What's, what do I need to get out of this? What is it that I want? Okay. And how can that person support and provide that? Because sometimes if someone was kind of coming at me with something and I don't feel like I have any idea what, what you want from me, one, I might then offer something that isn't. So you feel let down again or misunderstood, right? So then I might be inadvertently Oh, like if they, they
0: want to vent, but you're trying to problem solve, or they yeah. want to explore, and you're trying to just apologize, right. like whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so
1: so even just being clear on what is it that I need or want in this interaction, so okay. I can ask for it. You know, sometimes with my partner, when I'm feeling whatever upset, he loves to offer a solution. That's so annoying. I'm an intelligent woman. I I already thought of that. That's not what I need. So now what I do is I go in really explicitly. I want to tell you what happened today. I don't want you to offer solutions, but after I finish talking, can you please hug me tight? Yeah. He can do that. He feels equipped. Then he doesn't feel like I'm setting him up. He doesn't feel like I'm going to just discharge whatever my anger on him. He's like, yes, enthusiastically. Yes, let's do that because it's clear, and I know then what I need and I can get it. So we're sort of
0: saying in sum to think about who we choose to have this conversation with, Mm -hmm. then talk, have a think about how you want to have the conversation Mm -hmm. and starting to have some clarity around what you hope to get from it and letting them know that. So do you want insight? Do you want a dialogue? Is it just, hey, I listened to this episode and I had all these thoughts. I want to share them with you, or I want to hear what, if you've had these same thoughts.
1: Yeah. And maybe you don't know what you want. So even just saying that, that actually, all I know is I want to talk to you about this. Yeah. I don't know what I need from it.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. And if people want to unpack this more, find a good therapist. Yeah. I think so. And I think they're conversations where there's still a, a lot of destigmatized we want to do about mental health, but this isn't, like, not all therapies are around recovering from mental illness. Mm. These are the kinds of things that are, it can be roadblocks or mind blocks in our lives or, you know, get us stuck in different sort of patterns. So mm. therapy can be really helpful mm. to unpack all of these things. It's not necessarily just for mental illness.
1: I would say 99.9% of my clients come because they want to understand who they are on a deeper level and how they enter the world, how they enter relationships and how they get or interrupt themselves getting what they need. Same.
0: I think it starts off sometimes with symptoms that feel pressing. Yep. Like I'm feeling too anxious or overwhelmed. Yep. And then once we get through a few of those sessions through. Yep then it's, ah, there's
1: all these underlying things. Yeah, like I'm feeling anxious because I feel like I can't cope with what's going to come, right? right? And so I'm spending all this energy trying to predict and, and, and control my environment, and I'm exhausted and I'm constantly scared. So hopefully that gives people somewhere to get started. I hope so. <laughs>
0: thank you for listening to keep the conversation going head on over to instagram or linkedin and follow me if you'd like to keep updated with episodes and other interesting things happening in mental health join my weekly this complex life newsletter where i'll share tools tips and insights. there's a link in the show notes got a question you want answered Shoot me an email or a dm i'd love to hear from you and if you enjoy the show i'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review it helps other people find the podcast